Headlines are blazing all across the mainstream media at the amazingly amazing scandal that has broken at the White House. President Donald Trump on Sunday sent out a tweet in which he finally admitted that a Trump Tower meeting between Don Jr. and some Russian woman that Trump originally said was intended to gather opposition research against Hillary Clinton was in fact intended to gather opposition research against Hillary Clinton. That's right. This wildly insane change of story came during a tweet storm or a tweet tornado or even possibly a tweet forest fire or other natural disaster and sent headline writers rushing to their headline writing machinery to write headlines proclaiming that Trump had at last frankly acknowledged that what he's been saying about the meeting for over a year is still what he's saying. The New York Times, a former newspaper, ran a story headline, quote, President Trump admits Trump Tower meeting was meant to get dirt on Clinton, unquote, in which the paper revealed that Trump's admission was exactly what he has been saying since the meeting first became public last July. ABC News broke the big story like this. The other major headline involving the president tonight, the meeting at Trump Tower with Russians, the president now tweeting that the meeting was about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. And then in the very same report played Trump's statement from a year ago. It's called opposition research or even research into your opponent. So that's a shocking change from one version of the story to the same version of the story a year later. CNN issued an analysis headline, quote, why this weekend's Trump Tower tweet matters. Because if CNN didn't tell us why it mattered, it would almost seem that it was a complete non-event that didn't matter at all. But thank heavens, CNN was there to disabuse us of that silly notion. And I read their article, and I can tell you that CNN says this tweet matters a lot. I can't tell you why it matters, because that wasn't in the article. But I'm sure CNN knows and is just keeping it secret until they can spring it on us later as a surprise. Whatever happens, it seems clear that this latest scandal is the beginning of the end of a presidency that has been ending since the beginning, but is now really beginning to end because we've ended the beginning and are beginning the end of the beginning. Or maybe this is just more media crap. That's also possible. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is the Clavin Show. <laughs> I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. I almost made it. I was so close. At least I'm having a good time. I, at least somebody, somebody is amused. Man, those guys are crazy. You know, what happened was Don Jr. came out with that story at the beginning, and he said the meeting was mostly about adoption because the woman was trying to get kind of sway them on the Magnitsky Act, which uh, Putin hates so much or allows Trump to allows the president to to basically freeze some assets of uh, Russian oligarchs. And the next day, Don Jr. said, well, they asked me to the meeting saying it was oppo research, but then all they talked about was the Magnitsky Act. So they, oh my God, a tremendous change of story. This is a year ago, a year ago, and Trump immediately said it was oppo research. And the whole thing was just nonsense. Anyway, uh, tomorrow is the mailbag day. 
You know, Lindsay is, I saw Lindsay. She was here with her beautiful, beautiful baby. That the baby loved me. I don't know what the, obviously, obviously carrying on the tradition of not having very good taste in men. <laughs> but, but a beautiful baby. Maybe we can have her here for the mailbag tomorrow she, so she can actually say woohoo on our, on our show. Uh, if you want to get a question in the mailbag, you got to do it today. You know, while you, while you can, you have to be a subscriber. Go to thedailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, hit the mailbag. Then you can ask anything you want. Ask about your personal problems, ask about religion, ask about politics, anything you want. And my answers are guaranteed 100% and will change your life sometimes for the better. Other times you're on your own. All right, we got so that's tomorrow. Jimmy Walker is coming up uh, in this in the second half of this show. Uh, he has got some crazy stories to tell about Hollywood. That was a genuinely crazy interview. And we want to talk about Ring. This is this is really important, Ring, because, you know, there's a lot of crime. I know in, in everybody's neighborhood, you can always get robbed. But Ring has changed the way that people do home security. You know, uh, if you... Well, let me show it. I'll show it to you. Here, here is a picture. You know what it is. Ring is a, a self a device you put in yourself. It can take pictures. It can show you what's going on when somebody's at the door. It can show you who's there. Uh, here is a video that we have. Hello. Hey. Stop Are you that. okay? Leave my house, or I'm calling the police. Okay. What you need to do? Hey, to leave my house. Stop now, or I'm calling the police. Why would you tell me that? Because you're trying to push my door in. Leave now. I'm about to smash what's in there. I'm calling the police. Okay. I am the police. A ring video doorbell lets you see and speak to intruders on your smartphone from anywhere and even share video clips to neighbors using the Ring app. Ring's floodlight cam and spotlight cam lets you build a ring of security around your entire property. This is something that I really like having in our neighborhood. Stop crime before it happens and help make your neighborhood safer with Ring. And you can save up to 150 bucks on a Ring of Security kit at ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. $150 off when you go to ring.com slash Clavin. And I know what you're asking. You're wondering to yourself, wait a minute, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Uh, so yesterday's show, we, start, we started and we were talking about the press's sensitivity to Trump's attacks on them, which they have so well earned and deserved. And now they're saying, oh my gosh, he's going to get us all killed and we're all going to die. And then at the very end of the show, I started talking about what had just was a new story at the moment. And I had come in only knowing that Facebook had taken uh, Alex Jones and his Infowars off their website. And that's all I knew. And I was talking about how I didn't think they should do that. I thought it was wrong. I thought it was a form of censorship, even though it's not violating the First Amendment. Just because somebody has a right to do something doesn't mean he's doing something right. And I think Facebook was doing something wrong. And I said, you should always counter bad speech with more speech. But now, now I've got the full story. And the full story is all the, all the social media, all the top technologies that companies have erased most of Alex Jones's posts and videos from their services. So obviously they were acting in concert. They all got together. They all said they were going to do this together and they took them off the air. And what I want to say about this is that the story about the media being attacked by Trump and this, this story are the same story. The reason, the reason people hate the media 
is this. It, this is the reason. Now, obviously, obviously, I don't, I have, you know, I, I shouldn't have to say this. I've made fun of Alex Jones a million times. None of us on the right likes hearing, uh, likes defending Alex Jones. Alex Jones really is a, a strange, bizarre dumpster fire of a human being. I mean, his show is disgusting. You know, if you took the person on CNN I like least, and I, I, I dislike them all, but I mean, if you took Don Lemon, somebody I have, really don't have a lot of respect for, Don Lemon and I probably have more in common ethically than Alex Jones and I, or Alex Jones and Don Lemon. I mean, that's that's how far out Don Lemon. I mean, sometimes he was just funny. He had this one video uh, where he decided that uh, Michelle Obama was a man, and it's always impossible to tell how much he's he's just trolling the audience. But he had this. Here's here's this video where he proves Michelle is actually a man. Here to have a very large penis uh, in her pants. Her shoulders are wide. Her face is very, very masculine. She looks like a tranny. And so you ask yourself, are the children a beard for Obama? Uh, and, of course, Michelle Obama or Michael Obama? So so that would be Michelle Obama or Michael Obama. I mean, if it weren't vile, it would be hilarious. But it is it is vile. I mean, Michelle Obama is a real human being. And, you know, when you say stuff like that, you know, it's one thing for a comedian in an act in a, in a nasty act to say it, but to say it as if it were some kind of news story is disgusting. And of course, when he takes that hilariously stupid stuff and then applies it to something serious like the uh, 2012 murder of 20 little children at Sandy Hook, which we all remember. I mean, this was, you know, is there a more tragic story than this? I mean, it's just only the numbers could have been, uh, can be more tragic. It's just a terrible, terrible story. And he said the whole thing didn't happen. It was a hoax. The uh, they're, they're suing him now. Some of the parents are suing him. I don't know if they're going to get away with that, but, you know, that they were actors. There wasn't, the kids weren't really killed and all this. Megyn Kelly had him on and just humiliated him as he deserved. You said the whole thing is a giant hoax. How do you deal with a total hoax? It took me about a year with Sandy Hook to come to grips with the fact that the whole thing was fake. I did deep research and my gosh, it just pretty much didn't happen. At, at that point, and I do think there's some cover up and some manipulation, that is pretty much what I believe. But then I was also going into devil's advocate, but then we know there's mass shootings and these things happen. Some of it looks like it's real, but then what do you do when they've got the kids going in circles in and out of the building with their hands up? I've watched the footage and it looks like a drill. So why are people, I mean, you know, it's, it's vile. It's, it, it, there's, no, there's no excuse for it. So why are people of conscience, uh, including me, I think uh, Shapiro, and if I may include Knowles as a person of conscience, I think I can. I think we can, we can get him, just squeeze him in over that border. Uh, you know, why are we saying that he shouldn't have been taken off social media when it's, un look, it's uncomfortable for us. Nobody wants to be associated with him. Nobody, we all know the left the left has no principles, so we know they're not going to understand that we're talking about principle. Principle is what we're talking about. But it has to be said that this is why people hate the press so much, because they took him off for hate speech. And hate is always and forever defined in one direction toward the right, which makes us suspect and makes us know. I don't suspect that. I'm sure that this is just the first inroad that is going to come closer and closer to people of conscience like myself, like Ben. The, eventually, they're going to be editing us all. They already give me hell on YouTube. They already make it hard for us to monetize our videos on YouTube. They make it hard for Steve Crowder. They make it hard for anybody on the right that they can get. They take off our videos for the slightest infraction of anything. This 
this is just a way of taking a guy who we all dislike and saying, oh yeah, it's just him, it's just him, but it's not. And we know this, we know the way they define hate because you know, uh, Farrakhan is still on social media and he is no less hateful than Alex Jones. That woman, Sarah Jung, is just as hateful, just spewing hate. So she gets a job at the New York Times and the New York Times. Well, she was kind of imitating what the right is doing. No, she wasn't. She's full of hatred for white men. She's a racist who is full of hatred and their hatred was on YouTube and she just got hired off it and nobody's going to take her off. So Alex Jones is just an easy target on the right. And the reason this is the same story The same story as Trump's attacks on the press is because for years, for decades, the the press and the left, but I repeat myself, the left has been defining those in opposition to them as hateful. Okay, so when you define, look, you know, we say we want border enforcement. They say, oh, well, the people coming over the border are kind of brown. So you're racist. You know, we say we make a joke about Obama or we say I don't like Obama. I think Obama is a corrupt, incompetent. Oh, well, Obama is brown. So you must be racist. You know, you say uh, the other day, Trump pointed out that Don Lemon is an idiot. Don Lemon is not that bright a guy, but Don Lemon has brown skin. That's racist. You know, we ask questions about gay marriage. And and listen, one of the things that I love about this show and I love about this audience is we've had debates. You and I, my audience and me, have had debates about gay people. The the things that people have written to me have not been hateful. They have been intelligent. They have been respectful. They've been thoughtful. I disagree with some of them. Some of them we have a little common ground. But None of none of us is being is hating on people. None of us is trying to destroy anybody. We're talking about principles and ideas. The left has basically said Barack Obama came out and said, I'm opposed to gay marriage because I'm a Christian. And everybody said, huh, that's interesting. And then the minute he said, no, I've evolved. I've changed my mind. Everybody who, who said what he had said a year before or the day before suddenly became hateful. That is the way the left operates. The left all, because the left is trying to undermine the, the civil, the, the West. It is trying to undermine the West. It is trying to bring down capitalism. It's trying to bring down free speech. It's trying to bring down freedom. And because we love those things, and because we are uh, those things, those things are part of our traditions, and they're in our fabric and in our blood. They have got to make it seem as if the products of those things, the products of free speech, are somehow unacceptable. That has been what the left has been trying to do since the '60s. Really, is to declare that every Everything that they don't like is somehow outside the Overton windows, outside what should be protected by freedom of speech and by all the other guarantees of the Constitution. So so we have these debates and they're perfectly good. You know, but if, if we say, hey, you know what, <clears throat> that baby in there, when you that baby in your womb, when you take a picture of it. That looks awful like a baby to me. It's DNA. Now that we have DNA, you know, we can see that it's a unique creation. It has nothing to do with some invisible spirit entering its body. I'm looking at that DNA. I say that's a unique creation. In that DNA is written an entire life, an entire life that will unfold if you leave it alone. And you say, oh, we're living in The Handmaid's Tale. That's your response. That's Brian Stelter's response on CNN. That's the Handmaid Tales producer's response. And I've told you, I know those folks are incredibly smart and and, uh, talented. But when you live among people who all agree with you, you know, you become radicalized and you become small minded and you get cut off from the other side of the argument. It is not hateful. It is not anti-woman to say, hey, you know what? That kid, unborn kid, is the smallest person in the room and deserves respect. So when, when does it stop? I mean, you know, they Facebook censored a California conservative candidate, Elizabeth Heng, because she is from uh, Cambodia, right? Yeah, she's from Cambodia. And she talked about how her parents met. 
under Pol Pot, one of the greatest communist dictators ever, a man who was created and who was allowed to take over Cambodia by the left. And then they blamed Nixon for it for some weird reason. They, uh, unbelievably, unbelievably, it was the left, the Democrats who pulled us out of there. And Pol Pot came in and slaughtered two million people, which was a huge proportion of the population. And she begins her video, her campaign video, talking about how her parents met under this dictatorship. It's an immensely touching, but he, she shows pictures of it that are shocking. Let, let's see it. In Cambodia, under Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge, being young and single often meant a gruesome life and likely death. They approached my father, and in order to save his life, he said he was about to be married. They asked him, to whom? He pointed to the prettiest girl that he saw, having never spoken to her before. The soldiers approached her, and she said yes. They got married the very next day. 41 years later, they're still the happiest couple I know. Great things can come from great adversity. You know, so they ban this because it's shocking. You know they're not doing that if she's a Democrat. They are just not doing it. And it's hard to prove, but it's not hard to prove the double standard. They just, where I live, West Hollywood, they just decreed that they're going to take Donald Trump's star off the walk of fame because of the way he treats women. This is Hollywood, folks. And they're, you know, I mean, is there a star on the walk of fame of a guy who hasn't mistreated women? No. And Bill Cosby is there and Kevin Spacey is there, who was at least an equal opportunity mistreater. You know, they're not taking those people up. It's all politics. It's all double. I'll tell you a story that's a really a real double standard. This one really gets me. The other day, Trump was teasing Diane Feinstein because there's a story that her driver, some guy who was working for her, was a, a Chinese spy. Okay, and he's he said something like, "I like Diane Feinstein. Here it is. I have I have to tell you." But I don't like the fact that she had a Chinese spy driving her and she didn't know it. Okay, so Feinstein sends out two tweets basically explaining herself. And this is what she says. The FBI told me five years ago it had concerns that China was seeking to recruit an administrative member of my California staff despite no access to sensitive information. I took those concerns seriously, learned the facts, and made sure the employee left my office immediately. You want to talk about a double standard? They found a spy, a Chinese spy, in her office. They told her about it. They dropped her, in, uh, you know, side of the mouth. They pulled her aside. Let's have a, oh, uh, what the British call a word in your ear, Diane. Guess what? You've got a spy in your staff. She fires him. Years later, they think that they have some concerns about some of the people working for Donald Trump and whether they're in touch with Russia. So do they pull Donald Trump aside and put a word in his ear? Do they whisper in his ear, you know what, you know how to get rid of some of these guys? No, they start an investigation of him that is going on this day. You want to talk about a double standard? You know, that is the double standard. And we we're talking about Don Lemon. You know, Don Lemon is so offended because uh, Trump said that he had that we played that interview he had with uh, LeBron James. And LeBron James doesn't like Trump. And LeBron James is a famous athlete. So he gets to talk about the fact that he doesn't like Trump. Doesn't mean he knows anything about Trump. Doesn't mean he knows anything about politics. He's a great, great athlete and a celebrity. So he gets a, a platform. That's the way that works. We, there's no reason for us to give any credence to anything he says. But Trump goes after anybody who attacks him, and Trump says, well, LeBron James made Don Lemon look smart. And of course, since they're both black, 
oh my God, it must be racism. I, you know, I, I seriously think Trump is one of the least racist presidents we have, we've ever had because I think if he if he thought like that, he'd be saying, no, I shouldn't say that because it would be racist. He's just not thinking about it. Only the only color he, Donald Trump sees is him. His color is me, me colored. If you're if you're Trump colored, he likes you. If you're anti-Trump colored, he doesn't like you. That's his that's his racism. Here is Don, Don Lemon explodes. Here is Don Lemon describing Trump supporters. Okay, so this is this is what we are dealing with and have been dealing with for decades from the press, from Hollywood, from the Academy, all of them. This is Don Lemon's description, not of Donald Trump, but of people who support Donald Trump. We're up against tribalism. We're up against people who will lie still and cheat, lie to their own mother, lie to themselves about what's right for this country, about truth and about facts, that they will ignore any misgiving, any terrible deed, any awful saying. They will just ignore it for their own political purpose. They will ignore the bigotry and the pettiness and the childishness about about what Donald Trump said about me and LeBron James and others just because they want to gain some sort of political clout or they want a few more dollars in tax money. At what cost? So that's what Don Lemon and CNN, by the way, thinks of you. Thinks of you. You would lie to your own mother. First of all, who doesn't lie to his mother? You know, his, you know, it's like, it wasn't me, mom. I didn't know it was my brother. You know, everybody lies to his mother. But but that's the way he thinks of you. And and here is one of the most wonderful statements. I mean, I, I love this stuff. I maybe maybe I play it too much, but there's a certain delight to utter interior corruption when people are so intellectually corrupt that they don't know that they're corrupt. For some reason, it just gives me this kind of delight. It's one of the revelatory things about human nature that just kind of, uh, I just can't stop looking at it. Lemon explains that he's not biased at all, that CNN is not biased at all. Their opinions are just true. Listen, Listen to this. This is Don Lemon on how they're not biased. You know, Chris, we don't take this lightly. When, when this president, when this man was on the campaign trail, we tried every, with every bone in our being to be objective and to report on him uh, in a fair, equitable manner. And then when he, he became president of the United States, the same thing. It always gets me when people say, well, there's 90%, this study shows that 90% of the reports about this president are negative. But they don't talk about the things that come out of his mouth and the policies that he proposes and what he does and says to people. How, how are we as media to report positively on something that's negative? The president called countries asshole countries. Oh, well, that's great. He should be calling. We don't do that. You don't call countries asshole countries. You don't do things like that. You don't talk about people um, in the way that this president does, at least if you're a president of the United States, you're not supposed to. So that whole thing about the, the media is biased and that 90% of what we report about Donald Trump is negative. If that is indeed true, then you need to counterbalance that and weigh it against what comes out of this president's mouth and what he is doing. I love when Don Lemon talks to Chris Cuomo. It's like, you know, it's like two, these two lunkheads it's like having your bookends getting into a conversation. But, but Don Lemon is essentially saying, what he's essentially sitting there saying is, it's not bias, we're just right. But that's what all biased people think. He, if he just reported the facts, Trump said this, he did this, he did that, we wouldn't be arguing with him. But it's that that's the bias. That's And he's so blind to it, he can't see it. He's so biased, he can't see that it's right there. Here's what I want to say about Facebook. And I just want to make it absolutely clear that I am not saying that they should censor the left and, and censor the right. They should stop censoring. And it has nothing to do with their rights as a private company. It has to do with what 
is right. Because when you hate people, you think they're hateful. That is what the left has been doing to the right for 50 years. They've been describing our opinions as hateful. When their opinions change, when they suddenly decide a man is not a man, if he says he's a woman, he's actually a woman, and if you don't call him a woman, then you're hateful, then their new opinion, the opposite of their new opinion is hateful. It's always hateful. We know all the hate in their minds is on the right. And all of the, and, and here's, what I, here's what I want to say to Facebook and, and to Twitter and to YouTube, all these giant corporations, because that's what they are. When the, when the left became the party of giant corporations censoring people, I don't know, but it is, has, has happened. That's who they are. Now, the left is now the party of gigantic, unbridled corporations, virtually mon- monopolies that censor people. That is the left. All corporations can be brought down. And I don't mean that in a violent way. I just mean in terms of business. I was in Rochester, New York a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, and there was Kodak, what used to be Kodak. People who are not old enough do not remember that Kodak was cameras. That was it. When you talked about getting film, you said, get you know, get me some Kodak film. When you when Paul Simon wrote a song about film, it was called Kodachrome, you know, give me those nice bright colors. Kodachrome. Kodak made one mistake. One mistake. They didn't realize that everything was going to go digital and they were gone like that. And Rochester is the worst for it. Facebook just lost billions on uh, on, the, on the stock market. Facebook can be gone. YouTube can be gone. I, you know what I hope Alex Jones does and I wish him nothing. Uh, I don't wish him any success, but I have to say in this case, what I hope he does is I hope he builds his own platform. I recommended this when they started the Daily Wire. I said, you know, we should have a backup platform so when they start to censor us, we have a a go-to place where we can say, hey, you can't see it on YouTube, but you can see it here. But we haven't done that yet. But I think that that's what Alex Jones should do. Let him build his own channel. And I hope, and I I do, I hope it succeeds. I hope the people who want to watch the crap that Alex Jones spews out can see it there because ultimately that is what the right is going to have to do. We're going to have to build our own channels, our own platforms and bring these guys down. If the NFL can be brought down, the biggest company in America, what was until a little while ago, one of the most successful enterprises in America, if the NFL can be brought down, so can Facebook, so can YouTube, so can Twitter. If they're going to censor American speech, if they're going to lose the plot of American life and start to censor speech, they don't like. They have a right to do it, but it's not right to do it. All right. Maybe that's hate speech, though. I, I, I maybe They may censor me for hate speech. All right. Jimmy Walker is coming right up. Uh, come on over to thedailywire.com. While you're there, subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks per month or 100 bucks for the entire year, and you get to be in the mailbag. Hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Clavin podcast. Hit the mailbag. You can ask me any question you want. My question, my answers are guaranteed correct. I mean, it solves all your problems. You right now, right now, you have ten bucks and problems. Subscribe. You won't have the ten bucks. You won't have the problems. Mailbag is tomorrow. Jimmy Walker coming up. All right, Jimmy Walker. You know him from, as uh, JJ on the CBS television series Good Time. After uh, Good Times, after the show's run ended, Jimmy stayed in the limelight with countless appearances on all the late night shows, The Tonight Show, Late Night with David Letterman, and on and on. He's guest starred on lots of shows. He is also a New York Times best-selling author. He has two Grammy-nominated comedy albums, and he currently has a stand-up special with Michael Winslow called We're Still Here. Michael Winslow is the guy who makes all those funny sounds. It's really amazing, actually. And this is out today. We're Still Here with Jimmy Walker and Michael Winslow is out today on Amazon, Comcast, DirecTV, iTunes, and more. Here is Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Let's start by talking about your new special. You got a new special coming on. What uh, with uh, with Michael Winslow, isn't it? the uh, the sound guy? That, yeah, the Michael guy. Winslow from uh, Police Academy, who uh, the man of a thousand uh, voices, noises, whatever you want to call it, thousand sounds. That's his moniker. And so now, streaming services have given like this whole new life to stand up. Uh, what are you are you seeing stuff that you like, stuff that you don't like? Well, you know, the, the uh, comedy's changed, of course, in the last uh, 50 years a lot. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good people. I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, everybody stinks and it was better in our day. I think, you know, the main difference, there's a couple of differences, even though there's a lot of good people out there. Language is a big situation now uh, that we didn't have when I started. Uh, I think the fact that the country is divided that makes comedy divided and comedy is probably the leader of that. We have, uh, Mel Brooks always said, funny is funny. Well, funny isn't funny anymore because mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's a uh, different kind of comedy. We have gay comedy, Hispanic comedy, lesbian comedy, uh, Eskimo comedy. There's just, there's comedy for everybody in niches. When I started, if, you saw Flip Wilson. I saw Flip Wilson. If I saw Alan King, you saw Alan King. Now there's comics that are just for one particular segment of the public. As you can see on late night, uh, there's no positive Trump comedy out here. So that is only for the anti-Trumpites, I guess. And uh, that's the way comedy is going. So comedy is part of our great American divide right now. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Now, you, I know that you are uh, uh, much more conservative than most of the people in Hollywood. Is your is your act conservative as well? I think my act, uh, hopefully, is funny. <laughs> that's the key to it all. Uh, you know, we we try to be as funny as we can be, and uh, that's that's the deal. I'm not sure, even though there's a lot of talent, a lot of good comedy, a lot of good funny people out here now. I'm not sure that that's the point anymore is to be funny. I think the point is to make points uh, about whatever your view may be, whether it's about women, whether it's about politics, whatever it may be about. So that's the point, I think, that that I can gather that a lot of people are doing. Yeah, no, it seems that way to me, too. I mean, I think it's, it is remarkable how quickly. I mean, it's remarkable to me that you can't watch late night comedy if you're a Trump supporter. You can't watch late night comedy without being insulted. There's not one show that won't insult you. That's kind of kind of wild. I think that's the way they're going with that. Uh, it's uh, the anti-Trump thing. This is the strongest anti thing I've seen since the Vietnam War. Yeah, me too. Uh, there's not a positive word to be said, no matter what the facts are one way or the other i mean uh whether you're a trump person or not uh he's done some good stuff he's done some bad stuff but if you listen to late night you would think that the guy is just destroying everything and the civility in the country is minute i mean the fact that sarah huckabee sanders can't go to a restaurant with her family and the fact that somebody like a Maxine Waters goes, you should attack these people at every turn in the corner. I, I've never seen the uncivil behavior like we have it now. 
Yeah. When now you you made your bones in the in the seventies, really with the with the Good Times, a Norman Lear show about a black family. How how do you feel the representation of of blacks on screen has changed over that time? When you look at say situation comedy. Well, I think that uh, we were the first and last black poor black family. I want to huh. put that poor black family that was on TV. People complain in terms of in their black community so much that you will never, ever, ever, never, ever see a poor black family on television again. And most shows, again, through comedy, will be pointed one way or the other. Like the name of our show was Good Times, which is fun. And now the biggest minority show is Blackish, which is aimed basically at a certain crowd. And uh, we were, I think, we had universal situations. I think uh, their thing is, and I'm not saying it's bad. I, I'm, I'm happy that Anthony Anderson and all those guys are working, want people to work <laughs> and make a living, and that, that's really important. But I, I don't think we're at the point now that we are even aimed at uh, uh, trying to be all-inclusive. Like if you watch BET, I did a show called Hollywood Squares in the old days. Now BET is doing hip-hop squares. Mm. So I think that we've, getting, we've gotten to the point now that whatever your group is, it's pointed toward that group. And it continue, you would imagine, as much as I travel and with cable and everything, that the country would be very united because everybody would see, you know, you can see all sides of the whole deal. It's not that way. It's, I think since I've been traveling since 60, let's say 70, uh, the country is more divided, more racially divided, more economically uh, uh, divided, more uh, 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 democratically and, and Republican divided. And I think that's, that's what's happening. So I think, in my humble opinion, and very humble it is, that we're coming to a very bad point in this country, and there is literally no way to stop it. People say, well, what's the answer? I don't think there's an answer. Mm -hmm. I think we're going down a really severe rabbit hole, and I think that the, the anarchy on both sides, it's not just on one side, it's on the liberal and the conservative side, the anarchy in relationships in this country is severe and we could be coming to the end kind of a sodom and gomorrah situation wow that's a that's a pretty scary thought i mean i you know i i work out and i've worked in hollywood as a screenwriter and because i'm a conservative i know a lot of the conservative people out here and conservative uh, black people who work in hollywood have told me stories of their mistreatment when their political opinions become known uh, that are horrific. I mean, they're mistreated by white people for coming out as conservative. Have you experienced that? I don't know. I, I you know, people tell me that, and I go, "Gee, I never really even thought about it like <laughs> that." But it could be possible. I, I, I never really even thought about it until until some friends of mine brought it up. You know, uh, you look at people like Larry Elder, and he is, uh, I guess among the point people of it, and he takes a bad hit. You know, all those all those other guys, Shelby Steeles, all those other people like that, I mean, I guess they take hits. And then you look at uh, Charles Payne, who's on Fox, and uh, the other guy from the Wall Street Journal. Jason uh, Riley. They've claimed, yeah. yeah, Jason Riley, they claim they've taken hits. 
sometimes I may be in the glaucoma mood and not really see it, but maybe <laughs> it is happening. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I just want to go back for a second. I, I was curious when you said there's, there's no more uh, poor black families on TV. Why do you think that is? I mean, it seems to me there are fewer poor white families, too. That comes through the protest. The black people protested it. They didn't want to see it. So therefore, uh, they took it off. And after our show was on, uh, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a black family until the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. And Cosby wanted it to be about uh, the honeymooners, bus driver. And the networks had taken so much heat that they said, no, we can't, we can't do it. Just, just too bad. Wow. I, I didn't know that. That's, that's really interesting. You know, yeah, that, that was good. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and you'll, you'll, it's a very interesting story. When we were on, people protested and complained so much that we finally got off, whatever. But they didn't do another black show because they were very nervous about it. So therefore, uh, when Cosby got on with the Honeymooners, they said, no, we can't do that. Now, Cosby was on, and Fox was just starting at that time. Uh, Chris Albrecht and those guys. And so... Chris Albrecht and those guys said, boy, this Cosby show is so saccharine, so sweet. Can we do a counterpiece to the show? So one of the writers who's on our show, Michael Moy, who I can give you, I, you don't even want to go through his story because he's fabulous. Great writer. But anyway, he had a deal with Fox. So he said, can you write a counterpiece to the Cosby show? So he did. And they loved it. They said, it's fantastic, but we can't do it because black people would go insane. Hmm. So we can't do it. So the next regime came in. As you know, every two or three years, there's a new regime. They read it because it was in their files, and they were paying Michael to work at Fox, uh, Fox Television, Entertainment Branch. They read it, and they loved it. They said, boy, we just can't do it. It's, 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 it's too much. The third regime came in and goes, man, this is the best thing we've ever, we ever saw. Fantastic. He said, well, we can't do it. The black people will complain. Somebody said, well, let's, let's do it as white people. It's a great idea. They did it. Married with children. You're kidding me. That's, a, that's an amazing story. I mean, I wish I could be shocked, but I'm not because it's Hollywood. But like that, that is an amazing, amazing story. You know, it, it, it's funny. Recently, this film, uh, Black Panther, came out and it was a big success. And everybody was reacting as if no one had ever seen anything like this before. And it seemed to me, you know, I, I used to go to the Wesley Snipes uh, Blade trilogy. And, and it seems the to me. The Blade trilogy yeah. goes back to Shaft. It goes back Shaft. to all of that. Same thing. And it seems like it seems like we didn't even, you know, it, it, back then it seems like we didn't even notice it. You know, it's just Wesley Snipes. He was an action star. And now everything is so branded according to its race that it almost seems like we've taken a step backwards. Is that just me? Yeah, it, well, you look at the shows, Black Panther, Blackish. Uh, <laughs> they have another one out now, uh, the, Black, the Black Panther movie. It's just gone berserk. It's gone berserk. And I just think, like I said, the races are so divided. Everybody's like, you'll never see basically a black bad guy. You know, you got Denzel Washington with his thing, but he's technically not a bad guy right, in right. his thing. Uh, the way it is now, is every every black person has to be a good person, and we all know there's so there's a lot of good black people. There's no doubt about that, but there's some bad black people too, and you can play gangsters and do that. We that's the difference now that you were talking about the black exploitation movies against the Black Panther movie. Uh, 
the black rotation movies had bad black people in it. And it, it gave people roles. They did things. Look at any Clint Eastwood film or whatever. You always see crazy black people. I mean, to show you how things have changed, if you watch the first uh, uh, Dirty Harry movie, and which most people did who are of our bracket, age, whatever, there's a line in there that, that, that you could never, ever do now. That was one of the highlights of the movie. And that's when he has the shootout when he's coming out of the hot dog stand. And, and uh, he starts shooting people and he wounds one guy. And that's when he does his gun line about this is a 357 Magnum, the biggest thing. Ever. So the guy puts down his gun and as Dirty Harry's walk away, the guy says, I got to know. And if you did that line nowadays, there would be such an uproar. Hmm. I got <laughs> to know. Yeah. Never, ever could you do that line now. Ever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I watch some of the stuff going on. Like, I know my agent gets calls for writers of a specific race uh, because the idea is you can't write out of your race. And I, I know, for instance, when Will Smith didn't get nominated for concussion and his wife made a fuss about it, suddenly th there was all this talk about the Oscars being too white, which actually statistically well, wasn't true. Let me, tell you, let me tell you something, my friend. Every year from now on to the end of our existence, you will see black people nominated. Right. They, that will never, ever happen. I don't care what it is. They will get nominated for if. If it's Urkel, he'll get nominated because <laughs> they don't want to hear it. So they will always be black people nominated for something. So you'll never see that again. So that was a slip up on their part. And but they don't want to hear it. But doesn't that devalue the, the award? I mean, doesn't that mean? They won't allow that to happen. Yeah. They'll keep saying how great it is. Yeah. And if you're a black woman disabled look out you're the winner <laughs> it's nuts it's nuts well i'm really looking forward uh, to your special where can people see it they can see it on direct tv they can see it on comcast tv they can see it on amazon tv it is on all streaming devices you can pick it up it's called we're still here which is based on age also because michael and i are a little older so we had a very difficult time 20 years to be exact to get our special and uh we're here yeah great I, well i'm looking forward to it jimmy walker thanks very much for coming on i appreciate it hey thank you my friend that's an incredible story that one about married with children i mean that's just and that's, and it's kind of classic it's classic of how this stuff works that once you start thinking in terms of race it's always it's always the the minority who gets screwed in the end it always comes back because well, why not if that's what you're thinking about the only way the only way to lift up minorities is to remove race from the equation sexual follies So I spotted this from Twi Chicks on the Right, who are great tweeters. Chicks on the I love what Chicks on the Right tweet. Uh, it's from a, a woman on YouTube called Slumflower. No chance of her getting banned on YouTube. But this is a truly important movement of our time. Saggy boob pride. I think that all of us can get behind, uh, or may I guess we'd have to get in front of, uh, saggy boob pride. Let us play Slumflower's uh, demands for respect. There is definitely a lack of representation of different looking boobs. We only ever see perky boobs. The woman in the picture, normally she's wearing the bra and she's posed like this and her boobs are just sitting up. And when I wear the bra, I'd be like, 
I'm still saggy. I don't look like the woman in the picture. When a particular message is being pushed repeatedly, that becomes your reality. And most people aren't aware of how their reality has been constructed. You often feel like something is wrong with you. I used to hide my boobs. I used to hide my big hair. I started the Saggy Boobs Matter movement because at 19 years old, I decided to stop wearing a bra. And it was received with a lot of cynicism. Aren't your boobs a bit too saggy for you to not wear a bra? In order to normalize something, you have to repeat it. The whole purpose of this movement is to encourage you that your body matters exactly how it looks. There are absolutely unrealistic expectations set on breasts. The only person in the world who deserves to have an opinion on breasts is a newborn baby. And funny enough, I've never actually met a newborn baby who's had a problem with boobs. The actual boob issue is being made up and it's all fake news. So there's somebody who calls himself fourth wave madness or herself, and this is how she describes this. When you completely run out of things to complain about, <clears throat> Just look for something you don't like about your physique, then blame men for not liking it, then make a movement to fight back against those mean, mean men. Then over-accentuate that body part and shove it in everyone's face until they love you and applaud you. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> it is a sad, sad state of affairs. But listen, I'm, I'm for all boobs. I'm for all boobs, even the boobs who were reporting on CNN. All right, the mailbag tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We will see you then. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.